God is looking across the earth. There's a verse in the scripture that talks about God looking to and fro across the earth. And he's looking across the earth tonight as he has been in every generation. He's looking across the earth for a people that will cry out to him. A people who will worship him, who will be his. In every generation, he's looking for a worship generation. Jesus said it this way to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. I'll have it on the screen for you. John 4, verse 23. Jesus said this. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So this tells us a couple things. God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for a worship generation and those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That will cry out to him from the depths of their being, the depths of their heart. When your life is over, when it's all been said and done, will your life be a testimony of a person who worshiped God with their life and their life was a cry to the Lord. The 40th Psalm is a picture of a cry of a young man who worshiped God. He cried out from a place, and we'll see it in this passage tonight, a place of desperation. And I want to take you to this Psalm tonight and invite you to, as we read it, as we look at it, to look at yourself and see, are you part of this worship generation? Do you have a cry in your heart, but a cry that is going to the Lord? Do you have a Lord in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you worship and you look to no matter what the circumstance? God is looking for a worship generation. He's looking for a generation that cries out to him. He's looking for a, a generation that, re, that will realize in whatever circumstance you're in, realize what he has done. And we're, he's looking for a worship generation that will literally have a song of praise in their mouth. So let's look at it in Psalm chapter 40. Cry out to the Lord. Let's look at it. Verse 1, it says this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. You see, God is looking for a generation that will cry out to him. God is looking for people. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter uh, what family you were born into, doesn't matter uh, really even who your mom and dad were, who grandma and grandpa were, it, it matters that God is calling out to you and he's calling to you, to your heart, that you would be a part of this generation, the generation that now is on the face of the earth, a generation who worships God. Yes. And, and that's the calling that we have. That's the, the, the invitation that we have. David wrote this psalm, this song to the Lord. The psalm begins with David's joyful report 
about his deliverance and an, encur- and, and, and an encouragement, uh, and, and he encourages trust uh, those to, to trust the Lord. God did some, something wonderful for him. David was going through a tough situation. He was in the middle of a distressful situation. There are times that we find ourselves in distressful situations, right? I mean, you know, there are times when it's a bowl of cherries, <laughs> and then sometimes it's the pits, right? Sometimes it's, it's, it feels like it's easy street, right? You know, isn't that great? You know, those times, I love those times. Like, you know, those times when you feel like you have the wind at your back, uh, everything is good, everything's, you know, it couldn't be better, you know, it's a good feeling. You've got a really good feeling. And then there are times that are tough. There are times that are distressful. It could be um, as minor as, you know, getting some unexpected bill in the mail that you're like, oh, or, you know, an unexpected car repair. I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, you need a new muffler or something. I'm talking about like, ah, it's going to be several hundred dollars and you weren't planning for it. It could be, it could be that. Or it could be much, much more difficult. It could be things that you're going through in your family. It could be things going, you're going through it in, in your relationships, maybe with your, your mom or dad or your parents or, or your kids, um, or even in your own relationship, husband and wife can be a tough time. And it's a, it's a distressful situation. What are you going to do? What do you do in those situations? What do you do in the times of distress? Now, if you look back across history, and I'm not, I'm not going to go back all across history, but just in recent history. If you go back in recent history, you can look at times where, you know, there was just uh, things that would cause distress, things that would cause people to be concerned. You look back in the 60s, and 70s, and you had, you know, people were very distressed over the war. You know, you had many people going, getting drafted. The draft was in full effect, and, and people getting drafted into the Vietnam War. And, and um, you know, I've known people, we've known uh, people that were, um, uh, you know, that had many friends killed in the war, that fought in the war, that, um, I don't know if you know the name Dave Reaver, but we used to know Dave Reaver. He, he went over and fought in the war and literally had a grenade explode like next to his head and uh, just took off, you know, half of his face and a couple of his fingers and his ear. And now he has a fake ear uh, and he, and he takes it off and he plays piano by ear and, uh, <laughs> and he ministers. But, uh, <laughs> but there was a tough time during the sixties and seventies. And there was that, that was that generation that cried out and what happens is a lot of times when you, you go through a tough situation, you're looking for somewhere to cry out, someone to cry out to, someone that's, that, it, you know, someone that you think's going to hear. You know, it, it may be someone in your family. It, it may be a partner. It may be uh, something else, someone else, friends. You know, there's always those that will look to the government and cry out to the government to, to stop what they're doing or do more of what they're not doing. You know, government, get with the program. Do, you know, change this, change this. And so there was this cry. There was a lot of angst during the 60s and 70s. And uh, I've just got a couple pictures I'm going to 
throw up there just to take you back. This picture is actually the cover of the Woodstock album. Um, and, and they actually, this couple actually is still together. Did you see that? They actually just posted a picture of this couple. And, uh, but, but this was a time when, you know, you had all that, uh, that, the young people of that time crying out from the depths of their heart. And then you pass forward in, from the 60s and 70s into the 80s. And that, that was really my time, right? You know, the, the, the 80s. I was, a, I was a teenager of the 80s. Not, not too bad. I mean, you know, most of you here probably 70s, 60s, whatever. Maybe some 80s. Anybody 80s? Raise your hand. Come on. Yeah, 80s. 80s was a good, a good era, good era, good decade of music. Um, and one of the things you had in, in my era, it probably started in the 70s, but you had like the punk, you had like the punkers, and you had like at my school, you had like the skinheads. You know, you had like the long, you had the skinheads with the shaved heads, with the long black trench coats, with the, with the, with the army boots, like up to the knees and stuff. And they, and they were just like, you know, really like against everything, it seemed like. It was like, you know, a lot of them were like, you know, anarchists and things like that. And, um, and so, you know, they were just, it was kind of a rebellion against everything and anything that would, that would pose as any type of authority. And, uh, and so it, it, it was this, you know, cry against the authority. You know, we're going we're gonna to cry out against the authority. And that's going to make us feel better. That's going to that's gonna, uh, make the, the distress or the longing in our hearts, that's going to that's gonna make it all right. As long as I can cry out against the authority and I can you know, shave my head and wear a long trend, black trench coat, you know, I'm going to feel better about things. You know, and then the 80s gave way to the 90s that brought on the grunge era, and you had bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, and, and that whole thing. And one of the things that characterized the music of the 90s, and honestly, even in the Christian alternative scene, if you go back and... Li- well, I don't know if you guys listen to this music, but even on the Christian side, the repercussions of the broken families was just full in full bloom in in don't want to say it that way it was you know we were reaping the whirlwind of the broken family and a lot of that um stuff that came out in that music was because there was literally a hole in a lot of the hearts of these these people you know these singers they, they, they grew up, their father walked out. For whatever reason, got up one day, walked out the door. And there was just this vacuum. And so, you know, you look at, you know, Kurt Cobain and, and, and these kind of guys. And, um, and so how did, how did Kurt Cobain handle that situation? He, he took his life. He took his life to get rid of the pain to get rid of the distress. You see, so there's, there's either a, escape, there's, there's wanting to escape the distress, or maybe glossing it over, covering it over, but there's, there's, there's really one way to deal with it, and that's to cry out to the Lord and realize that God's there and, and he's going to hear you. And in Psalm, in Psalm 40, David says this, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. 
And so we need to be reminded tonight that we have a God that, that hears our cry, that he, he will hear the cry of who, the whosoever that will call upon him, the whosoever that will cry unto him, the whosoever that will, that will call on his name. And we have a promise. There's a, there's a great promise in Scripture that says this, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it doesn't mean that he's going to pull you up completely out of every consequence of the circumstance of your life. I mean, you know, obviously the person that's that's in court being sentenced to life in prison because they murdered someone. Yeah, they can call on the Lord and they will be saved. It doesn't mean he's going to, uh, you know, commute their sentence or their, you know, whatever. But, but, but they will be saved and there is a new destiny. There is a new trajectory for their life. And I've seen guys that, that have gotten saved uh, in that situation and have literally become ministers in the prison. And... Um, and, and uh, maybe not, you know, maybe they weren't there for, uh, because they murdered someone. Maybe they were just doing time. Maybe it was a white collar crime, right? And one of the guys that I remember um, is a guy by the name of Chuck Colson. You remember Chuck Colson? Great guy. If you ever get a chance to read any of Chuck Colson's books, do. <laughs> um, and this guy went down and did time uh, got tangled up in the whole uh, Nixon administration with Watergate. And so he ended up going to prison and he got saved in prison. And God basically just, you know, he called on the name of the Lord. He cried out to God, God, I need you. I'm just in a mess. I'm doing time because of this whole situation and Watergate and the whole thing. And God saved him and God called him into the ministry. And he basically put together a ministry called Prison Fellowships that, that, ha, that he has ministered uh, in prisons all over the country since gotten out. He's actually since gone on to be with the Lord. But during his time after he got out of prison, he, he went to prisons everywhere and he led uh, a huge ministry that helped other people do prison ministry. And because of, of, because of, of that one person, Chuck Colson, who cried out to the Lord in prison, many, many people came to the Lord. So we have a God who we can cry out to. We can wait on him. He's going to answer. He's going to incline to our, our cry. Why is that? Because he's a good father, right? He's going to hear the distress when we're coming to him uh, in spirit and truth. And, 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 and that's the beginning of, of that being a worshiper, talk about worshiping in spirit and truth. The first part of wor worshiping in spirit and truth is, is just being honest with the Lord and just coming full, clean with God, you know, who you can't pull the wool over his eyes anyway. So you might as well come clean with the Lord. Amen. And, and if you come clean with the Lord and you just open up your heart and cry to him and, and let that out and direct that to the Lord, God's going to do something in your life. God's going to change the trajectory of your situation. You can look at all these other examples that we talked about and the, the trajectory, the, the destiny wasn't changed. 
There was this angst. There was this rebellion. There was this cry for, for something, but, it, but, it, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. And we've got to be a people that don't go for the escape, that don't go for the smoothing it over, but crying out to God. See, the world, each person will cry. <laughs> they say, I don't cry. No, no, no. The world cries, and each person cries. It's just a matter of who they're crying to. There, it could be just a defiant cry of rebellion, and that's it. It's, 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 it's kind of like the cry of like kind of shaking the fist at God, you know? So it doesn't matter who it is, there's a cry. God's looking for those that will cry out to him. Amen? And, and, and David says, he, I, I waited patiently for the Lord. He, he inclined to my cry. And, uh, and God is looking for, for people who will cry out to him. Secondly, We've got to realize what God has done. And that's what David recounted in verse 2. Let's take a look at it. He says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. Here is where David is actually recalling. He's remembering. He's remembering what God has done for him. And God is looking for a generation that not only will cry out to him and be, a, and be a, this worship generation, but he's looking for people who will, will have this remembrance, will go forward in their life with, with, with a remembrance of what he has done for them. People today, I don't know that they understand the magnitude of what God has done. They don't understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done. And here's how, here's how you will hear it. It will like people like saying Jesus, saying Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've actually heard people say that in almost kind of like a, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Why did he die? Well, you died on the cross for, for sins. And almost in a way that is just like, okay, I can tell by the way that you said that. I can tell by the way that you answered that, that you are not realizing what the magnitude of what God has done. People take it lightly. They say, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for us. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? What has God done for me? What has God done for me lately? Well, guess what? He's done, he's done an incredible thing. He, he died on the cross for your sins and he offers you salvation. And when you come to him and cry to him, he's going to pick you up out of a horrible pit and he's going to set your feet up on a rock. David knew exactly what God had done for him. Using figurative language to describe his distress, David says he was down in a horrible pit. He was, he was, he was down. It, it wasn't just a pit like a, like a hole. It was a hole, but it was like slimy down there. It was mucky down there. It was mud. It was muck and mire and just ah, slime. The word mire here, look at it, verse uh, 2. He, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. The word there, 
miry or mire is the word in the Hebrew, it's yavin. It's, when I saw that, I was like, any Star Wars fans, there's a planet yavin? This is not that. Um, <clears throat> but it's yavin, and it means slimy, uncertain, desolate. It's, 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 it's the miry clay. It's a terrible situation. It kind of reminds me of another psalm where someone was kind of sinking deep. And it's Psalm 69, and I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. This is the psalmist. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck, and I'm sinking in deep mire where there is no standing, and I've come into deep waters where the floods are overflowing me. I, I'm, I'm literally up to my neck. There's, there, there's no standing. There's, there's literally no foothold. And when, when I was a teenager, there was a, there was a singer named Russ Taff who sang, I mean, remember Russ Taff? Yeah, Russ Taff. Uh, he sang a song that was actually not written by him on his album that he put out in 1987. It was written, a song called Down in the Lowlands that was written by a great Christian artist whose name was Charlie Peacock, okay? And he wrote this song and this is what it said in the song. It says, I'm down in the lowlands. Won't you save me? Hear my cry. Won't you save me? The water is up to my neck. I'm sinking in the deep. And there is no foothold to find anywhere. I'm very worn out from calling for help. My throat is hoarse and dry as a bone. My eyes have failed me from looking for you. I'm looking for you. And so the psalmist in Psalm 69 is describing this type of situation. And he's crying out for the mercy of the Lord. He's crying out for a foothold, something to stand on. And David, back in Psalm 40, is saying, yes, I cried out to the Lord. He inclined to me. I waited patiently for him. And he heard my cry. And he lifted me up out of the miry clay. And he lifted me up out of a horrible pit. And he put my feet upon a rock. He gave me, he gave me a standing. He gave me, uh, you know, I wasn't in that situation where, uh, you know, it's getting deep. It's getting deep and there's no foothold. There's no place to put your, to put your feet. David knew that his situation, what it was and that it was critical and dire. And he also knew that God had saved him from the situation. And God has saved you as well. God has saved you as well. And you're looking back to the situation. If you're a Christian, you're looking back to the situation, to the time when you first realized that God saved you from your sins, that he picked you up out of the, the miry clay, the, the horrible pit that you were in, in your life of desperation and sin, and he pulled you up out of that pit and he put your, put your feet upon a rock. Now, no other situation that you will ever find yourself in will be worse than that. It may seem like it, but no other situation will be worse than what you found yourself in when you cried out to Jesus to be saved. Because your soul was saved. Your life was saved. You were born again. You were born of the Spirit. And all these other distresses, they come. And, 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 and it is not to say that statement is not to say in any way to belittle the present 
circumstances, the present distresses. It's only a statement to put it into perspective that God, the God who took care of the worst possible situation that you will ever find yourself in can handle the situation that you're in now, wherever you find yourself. So look to God. Cry out to God. He is going to pick you up out of a miry clay, out of a horrible pit. He's going to put your feet up on a rock. Look at it, verse 2. And he set my feet up on a rock, and he established my steps. He established my steps. I love that. I love that. And we talk about that all the time, don't we? In the, in the church, we talk about how the steps of the righteous are ordered, right? He's, he's establishing your steps, Christian. He's establishing your path. He's, he's, he's giving you his word. He's lighting your path. He's giving light to your feet, a lamp to your feet. He's establishing your steps. He's, he's giving you, he's whispering and giving you that still small voice. He's, he's guiding you each and every day. And that's because he's established our steps. He's put our feet up on a rock. And the gospel, the hope that we have in the gospel gives us hope in any other distress. Amen? So what you have to do sometimes is you have to remind yourself that you have hope. Have you ever gotten yourself into one of these predicaments? You've gotten yourself into a distress? You've gotten, you found yourself in one of these situations where it's overwhelming and so overwhelming that it, it, it begins to, you can actually feel it like physiologically. It's weird how stuff like that, you can actually feel it. You know, some people really feel it, like they'll get headaches or they'll get backaches or they'll, you know, whatever. And you begin to, to feel this and you have to remind yourself you have to remind yourself who you are. You have to remind yourself, wait a second, I'm a person, I'm in the kingdom, I'm born again. I, I have hope. God gave me hope. And that hope just isn't for heaven. That hope is for here. That, that hope is for now. It's for here and now. It's for here and there. Amen? And sometimes we are so focused on the fact that we have a hope for there, down the line, down the road. Down the, you know, when, yep, someday I'm going to be all set, but right now it's a mess. <laughs> Whatever situation you're in right now, there's a hope. You have a hope and put your hope in God. You know, the, 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 that reminds me of another song. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. You're downcast, you begin to look down. You begin to get into a distressful situation. What happens when you're in a horrible pit? You look down and you look at how horrible it is. And the psalmist in that psalm, he says, why, he asks of himself, why are you so downcast? He's asking himself. And you have to ask yourself. Why are you so downcast? Have you ever been so downcast in a situation? You've got some news, you've got some situation that came on the horizon. And, 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 and wow, this is horrible, this is horrible. 
And like in two mornings, you're like, wow, what, what, what was I worried about? Because God has come into the situation, God changes the situation. Or maybe it was just not all that, you know, it, it, was, it was a paper tiger. <laughs> Sometimes we get distressed and it's a paper tiger, right? It's the enemy. It's a, it's a distraction of the enemy. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is something of substance. But whatever it is, we've got to put our hope in God. And the same hope that we have and have been given as a result of the gospel is the same hope we have today for whatever circumstance that we might find ourselves in. Amen. Has God put your feet upon a rock? Has he established your steps? If these things are true, then the next thing follows. Then you have a song to sing. Mm -hmm. And David put it this way. In verse 3, he says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and, and will trust in the Lord. So this is where we began in, the, in verse 3, he's telling people about how God has, pulled, you know, verse 2, God's pulled me out of a pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He's established my set. And now he's giving me a new song. He's giving me a new song of praise. So much so that other people are going to actually get in on this. <laughs> Other people are going to see this. Other people are going to know what's happened. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. And so there becomes a testimony of, of my life. He's put a new song in your mouth. Now, we as Christians, <laughs> we're, we're singers. <laughs> Amen? Amen? You're a singer for Jesus. And God has put a song. And he, he puts a song in the heart of every generation. And that's why, you know, God has said in his word that there would be a new song. Right? Verse 3, he's put a new song in my mouth. Um, you know, this is to say that, you know, David as a songwriter, <laughs> right, is actually kind of just like, it's a fresh thing. It's a fresh thing that God did. And I, I'm now kind of humming a new melody. I'm kind of singing a new praise. I, I've got a new thing. I've got a new, it's, it's, it's not something that, you know, was from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years, nothing wrong with that, you know? Those are great. Those are great songs that were written. And we still sing some of the songs the church does every now and then. <laughs> you know, I think a couple weeks ago we sang, we, we broke out, was it How Great Thou Art? Yeah. Some old songs. Some of them needed to be retired. <laughs> you know, I mean, I grew up in a church where, praise the Lord, Praise Jesus. <laughs> you know, it was like, turn to number 46. 
Beulah Land or something. I don't know. <laughs> right? Right? Now, some of these songs were great for, you know, the time frame and the era and the whatever, you know. And, and you know, I mean, anybody remember that? Beulah Land and other things. Fanny Crosby. She was like the hill song of, <laughs> of 100 years ago, right? If you go back to the hymnal and look at, at who wrote like most of those songs, it was her, right? And, uh, and then if you go back, you know, you, they used to say like, well, go back to the first 50 pages because those are the, those are the classics. You know, that's, the, that's like the Martin Luther songs and the Wesley's songs and the, you know, and then, you, and then you, once you get past once you got past number 50, then it was like, you know, all the Beulah Lands and Fanny Crosby and stuff. And she had some good ones. You know, she had some good ones. Huh? I'll Fly Away. Yeah, yeah, I'll Fly Away. Which was the song about, like, I'm going to die and fly away to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like you're going to fly out of the service. You know? <laughs> But, but, but those are important things. But what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to put a new song. And sometimes there's, there's a, you know, a, a, a pushback. There, there has been at times, there's always been, um, a, a, a people that want to push back on the new thing that God's doing or the new thing, the, thing, the, the new song that he's putting into the heart of, of young people today. And um, my, let, let me say this, my only concern, and this message is really not about what I'm about to say, but I just thought I'd throw it in here. My only concern is that we stay, you know, doctrinally sound with the new songs. Amen? Yes. You know, and so that's important. That's important. But God's going to put a new song in your heart, in your mouth, because of the great things that he's done for you. And, um, and so... We're going to be, we're, we're singers, we're going to be singing, we're, we're going to be singing, but we're, we're going to be doing a lot, just like we do now, we do a lot. You know, you sing, you, you, uh, you know, you know, music is kind of like, it's like a soundtrack, you know, you used to have to whistle while you worked, right? Now, like, people have, like, you know, ear, the earbuds, you know, and the, you know, even like the UPS guys, you know, have them, you know, listening to the podcasts and stuff while they're delivering packages. And uh, no, that's probably, I don't know if that's against the rules. <laughs> that's probably, Rob is like saying, no, that's against the rules. Um, although I have seen them. Maybe that was FedEx. Um, <laughs> that was FedEx. Um, but anyways, so the conclusion of this in chapter, in verse three is that is that, you know, that your life actually becomes a testimony um, because you are this person, because God has picked you up, because you have cried out to the Lord, because God has heard you, because God has established and put your feet up on a rock. He has established your steps. He has put a new song in your mouth and in your life. And your life has become a testimony to others. Many will see it and fear and we'll trust in the Lord. And so, you know, I think we have to ask our, ourselves that question. We'll close with that. We have to ask our, ourselves that question. Is, is our life, is the testimony of our life, does it cause other people to see and, and, and want to fear the Lord? 
I want to trust the Lord? Does does the does the way that you trust the Lord? Now I'm not I'm not asking that and like you know to to to, to uh, just a question, okay? As I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like turn the whole thing on you and like kind of make you feel bad. I'm just asking the question: Is 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 what God has done in your life and the hope that you have in Jesus and the new song that should be in your mouth because of that? Is that turned your life into a testimony of who God is in your life and that? it would cause other people to want to trust him. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, the legacy that we leave to the next generation. The, the, the importance of us having a cry in our heart to the Lord and having been picked up out of a horrible pit and put up our feet upon a rock and having our lives, a, a new song in our lives, that we become that worshiper, then our life then becomes a legacy to the next generation. That's right. And that's what we need to be thinking about. Because, wow, time is flying by. Mm-hmm. Time is flying by. And now's the time. Now's the time to think about these things. And so tonight, whatever you're going through, wherever you are, sometime, somebody here, you're on, you're on easy street right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's some folks here tonight, it's not easy street. It's a, it's a distress. It's something that God needs to work in, in your life. Would you cry to him? Would you cry out to him tonight? Because he's here to hear your cry.